The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to find your place in 1 John. 1 John, and this morning we're going to look at verses chapter 2 and verses 24 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 27, and I'm speaking this morning on the subject, enjoy life. Enjoy life life. In the passage before us, John reminds his readers of the wonderful life that they have in the person of Jesus Christ. This text reminds us that the Lord has indeed, through Jesus, given us wonderful life, and he desires for us to enjoy that life. He wants us to enjoy the life of Christ for our own good, so that we can experience the life for which he has created us. He wants us to enjoy the life of Jesus for the good of those around us, so that people within our circle of influence might be in contact with an individual who radiates the life of Jesus. And the Lord wants us to enjoy the life of Christ for his glory, so that in a stale many times and sinful world, people might see a bright hope, a bright ray of light through our lives. The Lord wants others to see Jesus through us. And so we see from God's word this morning that the Lord wants us to enjoy the life we have in Jesus. Now we live in a world that is obsessed with this concept of life. Everybody, it seems, is seeking after the good life. What's interesting about that is we as Christians have the answer in God's word. Real life is found in the person of Jesus. I read, have been reading this book, a book on health and wellness entitled How Not to Die. And uh, I thought the title was interesting because um, truly all of us will die one day, but the point of the book is that you can live longer through incorporating some important things into your life. But in reading this book, I found out there's this entire movement of scientists and doctors and philosophers who are investigating how humankind can live longer. And it actually got me on this journey of just searching videos and podcasts and such. And I came across this one guy who's written this book called Blue Zones, and he believes that humans can live up to 130 years and is advocating this. If you follow his prescribed way of living, perhaps you can live 130 years. Now, I don't know if I want to live that long because I can't imagine what my knees and ankles would be like at 130, 90 years from now. Well, I, I believe that this movement just taps into the heart of humanity All of humanity, because humanity has been made in the image of God, desires to have real life and even everlasting life. I often think about the last scene from the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe as he's reunited with his family in some version of the afterlife. That taps into the human desire. All of us seem to have an innate hunger for real life and everlasting life. And the Bible gives us the answer. 
The Bible tells us that we have abundant and eternal life in the person of Jesus Christ. And John here in our text encourages us to enjoy that life. Now, the question we have is what makes this life so enjoyable? In our passage, I believe we see three truths about the life we enjoy in Jesus. Three truths about the life we enjoy in Jesus. Follow along if you've downloaded your listening outline. And I believe from our text, we first of all see that we, should, we can enjoy life because we have a personal connection to God throughout life. We can enjoy life, number one, because we have a personal connection to God throughout life. Now we see this in verse number 24, as John says, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. Now, in the original language of the text, the personal pronoun you is at the beginning of the sentence. That's a way in the Greek, Koine Greek language of placing emphasis on something. John, at the very beginning, says you, if what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. John's syntax in the original language places emphasis on us God's children. The apostle here has a sense of urgency that we tap into a personal connection to God. And notice he speaks of what his readers had heard from the beginning. And that language is used to refer to their first experiences in Christian discipleship. Maybe you're like me, you can remember when you first became a Christian. You can learn, some, you can remember some of the first things you learned as a Christian. I can still remember sermon titles and texts of messages I heard as a new believer that profoundly impacted me. And John here reminds his readers of their first forays into the Christian religion and he points back to those primary instances in which they heard Christian doctrine. And he encourages them to stick to what they had heard from the beginning. And what had they heard from the beginning? They had heard truth about the person of Jesus Christ. The way in which Jesus had lived the perfect life no one can live. And Jesus had died for humanity's sin. And they had heard of how Jesus had got up from the grave defeating sin and death. And they had heard that if they were to believe in that truth, they would be forgiven of their sins and given everlasting life in Jesus. John reminds them of that truth and then he encourages them to remain in it. He says, if what you have heard from the beginning is to remain, what you have heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. So he's encouraging them to allow the truth of God to remain in them. This is a word in the first century that spoke of a lodging or a dwelling place. And here, John is encouraging us to allow our hearts and minds to become homes and abodes for the truth of God. 
Here he uses this word remain of a continuing relationship. It's present tense verbiage in the original language. Here John speaks of the way in which we can stay united heart, mind, and will with God the Father and his Son by remembering what we have heard from the beginning. I recently read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, and in that sermon he spoke of a fellow preacher in England who had passed away the week of him preaching this message back in the the late 19th century. And Spurgeon talked about how he had visited this preacher right before he passed away, and the preacher had preached the gospel faithfully for nearly 60 years in his church. And he told Spurgeon right before he passed away, you know, for nearly 60 years, I've never changed my message. I'll have to say I haven't invented anything new. I haven't been real clever. I've just preached the same old truth over and over again. But in doing so, I've discovered that that same old truth is wonderful and beautiful and robust. And I've discovered depths of that truth that I didn't know when I first started preaching it. And what a testimony and what a reminder of how we are to live the Christian life. We are called by God's word to stick to the stuff and to stick with plain scripture and to stick to the gospel to remain in it, to allow our hearts to be a home for God's truth and to allow our minds to be mansions for God's truth. And in doing that, John says at the end of verse 24, that in doing that, we will remain in the Son and in the Father. Sticking to the gospel, sticking to the plain truth of Scripture, is the way that we have a personal connection with Jesus and God. Now, John here is is intentional in mentioning the Son, S-O-N, because the Gnostic heretics in the first century church minimized the importance of Jesus. They reduced him to a mere spirit being. They didn't believe that he came 100% God, 100% man in the flesh to live on behalf of humanity's sin. And so John was strategic in mentioning Jesus by name here because of the ways, the way in which the Gnostics snubbed Jesus. And and on 17 occasions in this letter, John is intentional to mention this title, the Son. He wants to remind his first century readers and he wants to remind us that real life is found through the person of Jesus Christ. Get it, Jesus isn't just a philosophy. He's not just a creed. He's not just a code of ethics. He's not just a teacher or a moral example. He is the son of God who makes a way to God. He mentions the son but he also mentions the father. Now, it's interesting that he mentions the son and the father here, and they're joined by that small word, that conjunction, and. In doing so, John strategically, for the Gnostics, puts Jesus and the father on the same level. 
never listen to anyone who says that Jesus never claimed to be God or the New, New Testament writers never make him out to be God. There, there are modern cults that teach that. There are folks who have more of a universalistic approach to religion who teach that. Here we see a clear indicator that the New Testament authors put Jesus on the level with the eternal almighty God. He uses this word father strategically for that purpose. But he also uses this word father strategically to evoke thoughts of companionship and relational intimacy. He uses this word father to remind his readers they hadn't been called to live according to some mystical philosophy like the one the Gnostics had. Instead, they had been called to live in a meaningful relationship with the God of the universe. They weren't just called to learn about special knowledge. They were called to abide in a personal connection with God through Jesus. Our Lord Jesus taught us that this is true. Remember when he taught us to pray. He taught us to pray, Matthew 6, 6. Our Father, our Father in heaven. And John's words in our verse here remind us that we have a personal connection with God the Father through the person of Jesus. We can enjoy life. We have an intimate connection with the same one who spoke the sun, moon, and stars into being. Such an abiding relationship with God is the reason that we have been created. And it will be the hallmark of the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21.3. And Jesus, when he was on earth teaching He called people to follow him and he taught sermons, but in all of that, he wanted mankind to know that he had come so that people could get in touch with the God of the universe. That's why he said in John 6, 56, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. You see what Jesus taught? When you trust in his body and blood being offered on your behalf, you receive a family type of rela- family like relationship with God. Jesus referenced this truth in his famous vine and branches passage as well in John 15, 4 through 8. And here in John's letter, we're reminded that we as Christians can enjoy life even when there's a pandemic, even when death visits our family, even when we face financial hardship, even when friends betray us or our bodies fail us, we can enjoy life to a degree. Why? Because we have a personal connection to God. We have an ongoing, close relationship with the Lord. So when life is bad, blessed, or even boring, We know, Proverbs 18, 24, we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother and he's with us through the various seasons and struggles of life. I noticed somebody here at the corner of uh, Tennessee Street put a yard sign 
right near our church sign that just says Psalm 91. Now, I don't know who did that. We, we drove by it the other day as a family when we were going somewhere to practice safe social distancing, mind you. But we drove by it and Laura said, look at that. And I said, well, I like Psalm 91, but I've really been thinking a lot recently about Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. J.C. Ryle mentioned one time that the Church of England in his day, in their prayer book, had that verse to be the verse to be read as families entered for a funeral service in the Church of England. I'm reminded of this great truth. We can enjoy life because the Lord has been our refuge in every generation. We have a personal connection with God. Number two, why can we enjoy life? Not only do we have a personal connection with God, but John here tells us that we as believers have a better type of life. We have a better type of life. We see this in verse 25 as John says, and this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. Eternal life. Uh, the word life here is a word in the Greek kind of related to our word from which we get, kind of related to the word from which we get our word zoo. It's a word that referred to simple physical life, the opposite of death. But the Bible writers often employ it and use it with different adjectives to speak of the supernatural type of life we have in Jesus. This is the abundant and overflowing life that comes to us as a gift from God. This morning in my daily devotional time, I was reading, I'm reading through John and I read John chapter 10 and I came across one of my favorite verses. John 10, 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come that you may have life in that abundantly. John loves to speak of life in his letter, 1 John 1, 1, 1, 2, 3, 14, 5, 12, and 5, 16, he speaks of how we have received a different type of life through the person of Jesus. Now here he qualifies this word life with another word translated eternal. And, and the word is really just the word for an age or an epoch. It's a life belonging to the ages. These two terms together depict the unique type of life that you enjoy, that I enjoy as Christians. And John couples these two words together, eternal and life, throughout his letter on numerous occasions. And we see this pair of words used on numerous occasions in John's gospel as well. John here reminds us we have eternal life. And this begs the question, if John and Jesus both talked of this subject so much, we have to ask, what is involved with this eternal life? Now, contrary to popular opinion, eternal life is not just living forever, though it involves that. 
It's important, however, to see that eternal life, according to the Bible, is so much more than just life that is endless in duration. In fact, think of it like this. None of us technically have eternal life because there's only one who has no beginning and no end, and that is the eternal God. What is eternal life? I want you to see from Scripture and from the teaching of Jesus and John that eternal life is a lifestyle that is both qualitatively and quantitatively better. Now, those are two simple ways of measuring things. Qualitative, that deals with quality. Quantitative, that deals with quantity. Or you can think of quality dealing with um, the essence of something, its characteristics, its traits, its distinctions, and quantity deals with time or duration. And we can think of eternal life as, first of all, being better in quality better in quality. Indeed, the life of Jesus, if you are saved, if you are a believer, according to God's word, you have a life that is better than quality, not just in the hereafter, but the here and now. Why? Because your life is marked by a relationship with the eternal God. Why? Because you have the principles of the eternal God to guide you so that you can live life according to his parameters. Jesus made mention of this reality in John 17, 3, when he said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Notice here, Jesus isn't talking anything, saying anything about living forever. He's talking first and foremost of this idea that of knowing God. In eternal life, we have a connection with our creator. And this leads to a better type of life. So you can think of eternal life being better in quality. Now, it helps me to think of this in terms of food. The other day, as a family, we were talking about our favorite restaurants. Our children like to do that sometime. Daddy, who's your favorite baseball player? Who's your favorite football player? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite type of car? We were talking about what's your favorite restaurant. And I can't remember what I said, but I do remember one of the children hollering out, my favorite restaurant is Golden Corral. Now, for me, that may not be my favorite restaurant. In fact, I could probably go, you know, rest of my life without eating golden corral and weeping too much. I'm sorry if someone's listening and you own a golden corral, but just not my favorite place. But I know what my, for, for me, I'm more interested in quality, not quantity. So, so you can think of it like a, a steak restaurant. If I remember um, going to Washington DC one time for a conference and it's just me and I've got my per diem money for a conference and I went, I skipped breakfast, skipped lunch, ate little snacks that were for free in the hotel room because I knew that night there was a Ruth Chris Steakhouse right next to the convention center. And I was going to get a steak that was high in quality, 
Now get this, Christian, when it comes to the Christian life, the Christian life indeed is about heaven, but it's also about the here and now. It's indeed about the eternal state, but it's about earth as well. Know this from Jesus. Know this from God's word. You can have a better quality of life in the here and now by knowing the Lord and by surrendering your life to his principles and living in accordance with his truth. He is creator God and he made this world. He made you and he knows how life works best. John's wanting to remind his readers, don't get sidetracked by this goofy teaching of these false teachers who are self-occupied. Follow the plain old gospel message. It'll give you a better quality of life. Eternal life is better in quality, but it's also better in quantity. It's better in this way because according to God's word, when we have Jesus, we're saved and rescued from the second death. See, according to the Bible, everyone will die once, a physical death, and after that physical death, there is a judgment wherein the Lord determines who will live in the new heaven and the new earth. And if one has not been forgiven of his or her sins, then one experiences the second death, spiritual death. One is removed from the presence of God and that individual soul no longer has access to the Lord that individual becomes forever spiritually dead and Jesus taught us that when we are born again and saved and forgiven of our sins we receive an escape from the second death he said in John 3:16 for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. So notice, according to Jesus and according to John, the Christian has a life that is better in quality and quantity. Seen in this way, Eternal life is much more meaningful, more robust than the average Christian imagines. It involves a longer lifespan in a sense. You're going to live forever, but it involves a better lifespan as well. Altogether, the eternal life of Jesus involves a level of living and experience that is far superior to the life experienced by most men and women. Eternal life is better in both type in time it is it has promise of a life that is full and a life that is forever when i was in college and seminary i worked at papado this restaurant on windy hill road papado seafood kitchen now that is still my favorite restaurant. If you want to talk about favorite restaurants, that's my favorite. Somebody, when, we had this, when you all had this welcome reception for Laura and I, somebody gave us a gift card to Papado. Thank you, whoever that was. I, I can't remember. But this is a trial for me right now. I can't get out and go use that gift card. I know I could go drive through or take out, but man, I want to go sit down and have the full experience. So I'm waiting. When we get released from coronavirus, I'm heading to Windy Hill Road. 
But I remember when I worked at Papado, Papado would often uh, boast in our, our training meetings of the fact that, hey, we have food that is great in quality. It's fresh. We have trucks deliver fresh seafood daily, but we have food that is great in quantity as well. Our serving sizes are larger than what you receive at the average restaurant. Quality and quantity. This is what we have as Christians. So can I ask you today, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? Has there ever been that moment in your life where you confessed to God that you needed forgiveness and you believed in Jesus Christ for salvation? If you've never done that, do that today. Before this time of worship is over, bow your head, close your eyes, call upon the name of the Lord and admit your need for him and ask him to save you through what Jesus has done and you will receive a life that is better in quantity. You will have promised that the second death will never touch you. Maybe you're a believer and you're listening. And you know you've got that life that is better in quantity, but can I ask you, are you really experiencing a life that's better in quality? Are you living according to John 17, 3, knowing God, knowing the Father, knowing Jesus, and allowing him to help you and change you? Know this, in the person of Jesus, you don't just have fire insurance for the hereafter, you have a meaningful relationship with God, a better life in the here and now. And so whatever you experience emotionally or whatever you experience with your health or whatever you experience at work, whatever you experience in relationships, whatever you experience in your family life, you've got God with you. You've got Jesus. You've got his truth and his principles. And you can live a better type of life by living according to the eternal life that you have. See, this was the issue in John's day. There was these people, these false teachers, we call them the Gnostics. They thought they could find this better type of life through this doctrine that allowed them to engage in sexual sin. John says, on the contrary, we don't need some type of strange new teaching. We have real life in the person of Jesus. We can enjoy life because we have a personal connection with God. We can enjoy life because we have a better type of life in Jesus. But lastly, I want you to see that we can enjoy life because we have otherworldly insight for life. Look at what John says in verse 26. He says, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. John here does what he does throughout this letter. He gives a purpose statement for his writing. He did the same thing back in 1 John 2, 12 through 14. We'll see him do this again in 1 John 5, 13. It's real, real clear to give his purpose in writing. And here he gives another purpose statement. He's saying all of this because of the people who were trying to deceive. It's the word for seduce. There were individuals trying to, to lead the real Christians astray. They were trying to make them wander from true Christian doctrine or teaching. So John says, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And then he says in verse 27, as for you, 
the anointing you receive from him remains in you. This word anointing is a unique one. It's, it's a word that was used for spreading something in the first century. Maybe spreading or applying an ointment. This morning I got up and I, I made my breakfast and I made a fruit smoothie and then I took a piece of whole wheat bread and I put almond butter on it. I've been reading that book, How Not to Die, so it's got me eating weird stuff. Um, so I, put, I spread my almond butter on there. Now, the Bible teaches when you got saved, God, figuratively speaking, spread something all over you. He anointed you. He covered you. What did he cover you with? The Holy Spirit. See, this is what it means to be born again. You've got a physical body, but when you call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, you experience a spiritual birth. The third person of the Trinity comes to live within you. So John says, you have this anointing and it remains in you. In other words, it's never going to leave you. It's continual language here. The Holy Spirit when he comes to live within your heart, promises that he will never leave you. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 28, 20, when he said, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. The Ephesians 1, 13 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the, re until the redemption of the possession. In other words, the Holy Spirit will stick with you, never leave you until the end of time, until you have a glorified body. Ephesians 1.13, Jesus promised us, John 14.18, I will not leave you as orphans, so take heart. Somebody else in your life may have left you on one occasion, a parent or a spouse, but the Lord will never leave you. Holy Spirit, it will be with you until the new heaven and the new earth. Then John says, because of that, you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he mean like literally you never need anyone to teach you once you become a believer? I hope not because I need to find a different job, right? What does he mean by this? You don't need anyone to teach you. Now, some kind of in a haughty way take this as, I've got the Holy Spirit. I don't need anyone to instruct me. I can just read the Bible and I'll be just fine. Well, I think that goes against the, the, the meaning here because obviously John believed they needed someone to teach them because he's writing them a letter to tell them how to stand on guard against the Gnostics. It's important to realize here, John uses present tense language speaks of a continual action as a result one could translate the verse as saying you don't need anyone to keep on teaching you john is specifically saying you don't need those knuckleheads in asia minor to keep on teaching you the holy spirit can teach you better than they can teach you now this is important because according to jesus teaching is a distinct function of the holy spirit when Jesus prophesied according, what, when Jesus prophesied concerning what would happen at Pentecost, he explicitly referenced the teaching aspect of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26, he said, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, 
the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify to you about me. John 16, 13, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And here John echoes that teaching. He said his anointing, the Holy Spirit, teaches you about all things. Now John here isn't meaning that the Holy Spirit literally teaches us about every single piece of information on planet earth now the the holy spirit can guide us and illuminate us and give us gifts to where we could understand things in a way that others can't but i don't think the meaning here is that the holy spirit will make us smart in things related to, to science or math or engineering or linguistics or computer programming or any other branch of learning, although the Holy Spirit can guide and help us. The meaning here, when he speaks of all things, the meaning deals with spiritual and moral and informational things related to God's truth. Even then, we can't know all things related to God because Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there are secret things that belong to the Lord. The meaning here is that Hey, church, the the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to fully live the Christian life. You don't need to listen to some Johnny-come-lately, self-proclaimed spiritual guru with a new spin on Christianity. Stick to the gospel and stick to God's revealed word. Remember 2 Peter 1.3, that the Lord has given us everything required for life and godliness. Here he's encouraging his readers to enjoy the life that God had given them. If they wanted to stand strong in the midst of temptation and be joy-filled, peace-filled Christians, they needed to learn to remain in the Lord and to allow the Lord to teach them. He says that here at the end of verse 27 by saying, just as it has taught you, remain in him. John's readers knew from John 15, 4 through 7, and Jeremiah 31, 34, that the Holy Spirit of the Lord would give believers insight for living. Here we're reminded that we can enjoy life Because the Lord has promised to give us the insight, the wisdom we need for living the Christian life in a dark world. When life sends hardship, and it will, we know we can lean on the Lord and his love and his truth to give us the wherewithal and the wisdom we need for life. When we're at a crossroads in life and we're facing a challenging decision, we know that God has promised to guide his children. When we have emotions 
that seem to overcome us, that seem to harass us. Maybe we've been pre-programmed from our upbringing to respond in certain ways. We know this, we don't have to live according to the old man or the old woman. We have a helper to give us new ways of thinking. Throughout our entire pilgrimage on earth, as we face problems with finances or family members or our fitness, we know from the Lord we have a guide by our side. The very spirit of the living God, Genesis 1-2, that hovered over the surface of the waters now inhabits our hearts. When we face confusion, hardship, a lack of direction in life, we have this guide who give us insight for life. We only need to lean on him and learn from him as we were taught to do by Jesus. Now, if you're like me, you have a smartphone, and I've learned that that smartphone can be a help uh, in life in a lot of different ways. Uh, I, I use it you know, like you, I've got a lot of different apps that I use. One of my favorites is Google Translate, and I like studying languages and traveled to, to different countries with different languages. I've used Google Translate before to uh, speak to someone in Romanian or Russian or Spanish, Latvian. Um, I remember I was in France with a a pastor, a native pastor that we supported at my previous church. And I knew a little bit of French, but I was using it as I had quasi conversations with people to say things to them. I could type it in and immediately get the translation, even press the play button so they could hear what I wanted to say. So I didn't butcher the pronunciation and the accent. Um, I, I'd learned a little bit of French. And so I, I thought I was uh, getting good at it and went to a restaurant and thought, I, well, I think I can pretty much order my food. I mean, I've studied in this app and I think I'm going to, I'm going to give a, give it a try. When the waitress comes by, I'm going to try to order my own meal. So I was able to, to point on the menu, menu, je voudrais, and point to what I would like. Then I thought I would get clever and try to order my, my beverage. And at that time I was drinking a lot of club soda and so soda water. That was my substitute when I got off of drinking um, Coca-Cola. I started drinking club soda. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll try to order this. I had been in um, Spanish-speaking countries. I'd been in Argentina and I knew that when I ordered uh, club soda there, I said, uh, agua con gas, water with gas. So I just thought, well, that's how everybody says, says it in the rest of the world. So I'll say, uh, I would like, and I said, l'eau avec essence, water with gas. And the waitress looked at me kind of strange and asked me to repeat. And finally, she knew English. So you want water with petroleum in it? No, that's not what I want. Should have stuck with Google Translate, amen? I should have stuck with that guide by my side. I had a helper, and the helper was sufficient, and I should have, should have stuck with it. And get this reminder from John. We have a helper in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. His readers didn't need anything new. They needed to, to enjoy the life they had. 
And that life involved a personal connection with God, a better type of life and insight throughout life. And hear this, all of these, pros- all of these promises are yes and amen for you as well. You, believer, you have a personal connection with God. You, believer, you have a better type of life. You, believer, you have insight for daily life. Make it your aim to have priorities, a perspective, a personal devotion that makes room for all of these things and aim to live in light of these realities. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.